All right. Well, uh, this evening we are starting a new book. It is the Epistle of James, and uh, it's an awesome little book. Um, I've actually had the privilege of teaching through it a couple of times uh, to youth, to men, and now to a congregation, so um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, The fun thing about James is that it is not a particularly difficult book to understand. You know, th- there are some books, like if you go into uh, Romans or some of uh, the Pauline epistles, that you kind of sit there and go like, wow, man, I just, I, I got to sit there and I, my, my brain's starting to hurt because, you know, what, I think I understand what Paul's saying, but I don't, you know, Peter even said of it that he speaks many things that are difficult to understand. So it's like, you know, Peter could understand it, you know, it, it's okay for us too. But James isn't really like that. James is a book that is very straightforward, very plain, very, people call it the practical epistle. Uh, it, it's something that's just, it's very straightforward. But the cool thing about James is not how, how easy or hard it is to understand, but it is a book that is absolutely, it, it just drives straight to the heart of the matter. And though you may not be challenged, you know, um, in your mental capacities to understand and grasp the things that James is talking about, I guarantee if you take the things that James is saying to heart, you will absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, if you have a pulse, be challenged to apply these things to your life. See, James and the epistle of James is literally, it's an epistle that is just getting at the heart of matter. He's really trying to... um, Cause the people, cause the Christian, uh, in his day, you know, he, he was uh, like a bishop in Jerusalem at that time. He was uh, like the senior pastor of the, the church in Jerusalem at that time. And there was you know, all these Jews who, who had given their hearts to Jesus. They were uh, doing like communal living and all that kind of stuff. And they were all there together. And the word of the Lord is spreading and being glorified. And yet there was this constant pressure for the Jews to give in. It, there was this constant pressure for the Jews of his day to yield to the pressures of going back under the law, right? Because everything they were in, like they were Jews. You know, I mean, if you, if you don't know it, if you haven't heard it, uh, the church is a Jewish thing. You know, it, 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 it was taken over by Gentiles, so to speak. But really, in the end, it's, it's a Jewish God, a Jewish Messiah. It was, you know, it was founded on Jewish believers. And it was those Jewish believers that then spread the gospel to us non-Jewish Gentile believers and, and invited us into the church. Okay, so it, it is a very Jewish thing. And as these men were and these women were living in Jerusalem in the shadow of the temple itself, Right, the, the very symbol of the law. The, the, it, it was like the glory of the law was the temple in the Jews' eyes. And so they're in the shadow of this temple, and everybody's putting pressure on them, saying, oh, you must keep the law, you must keep the law, you must keep the law. And then the, the, they're kind of like battling within themselves because now these Gentiles are coming into the church. The Jews are rejecting the, the, the way uh, of Jesus. And so there's like all this pressure of people just like, Hey, you need to follow the law. You need to keep the law. You need to do these things. You, you can't be eaten with, with Gentile believers. You can't be doing that. Their family would be putting pressure on them. Their community would be putting pressure on them. Everybody would be putting pressure on them. And so there was a very gradual shift of the early Jewish believers, especially in Jerusalem to begin putting themselves back under the law just so they wouldn't get persecuted, just so they wouldn't get pressured by, by the, 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 um, the society around them, the spiritual culture that was around them. Okay, all these things are going on. And so what James is doing, James stands up, and I don't know if you've read any of the stuff about James, like in Fox's Book of Martyrs, something like the, the like church history of him. And this guy was no joke. You know, he, he wasn't just like a, 
like a religious fanatic. Like some people try to say, oh, you know, James, he was the legalist, and, you know, Paul had it out for James, and they were kind of bickering. It's like, no, they didn't. I think people overemphasize some uh, things that were going on uh, that were mentioned in some of the Pauline epistles to do that. But, you know, in the end, he was a man who was lighthearted. He had the right hand of fellowship with Paul and the other apostles, and he was serving the Lord. He was a man of faith, a man of uh, prayer. Uh, now, again, it's church tradition, but the church tradition is based on, you know, a lot of good stuff. It's not just like, oh, well, we believe. It's like, no, no, there's actually supportive evidence for these things. But, um, but like in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it literally says that uh, he spent so much time in prayer that his knees looked like the knees of a camel. Right, they were just all beat up, and I actually have a friend uh, who has cerebral palsy, and he has to go around on his knees all the time. And if you look at his knees, his knees are like all knobbed up, and like like you can just see like the way it's worn his knees out. Well, James spent so much time on his knees. Tradition says that his knees were looking like that as well. So this isn't just a man of just oh you know what I'm I'm the half brother of Jesus, and so you know listen to me. It's like no no he was a man of faith. He was a man who did give his heart to the Lord. He was a man who was instructed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he was a man who wrote this down. And, and what was he exhorting the church? He, exhor- he was exhorting the church to walk in maturity. Right? He, th- that's what this epistle is really about. You, there, there's all these different little um, segments of the epistle of James, and you look at it, there's like all these little vignettes, and you, you just look at all these different topics that he covers through the course of these five chapters. But really, in the end, when you look at it, he's encouraging and exhorting the church to walk in Christian maturity, right? to walk in spiritual maturity, to walk in heavenly understanding rather than walking in worldly understanding. And so th- that, that is this epistle. Now, this epistle was written in about, uh, best guess, um, through all this, the evidences that we do have, probably around 42 A.D., Okay. Now, we, we absolutely know that it was at least before 62 AD, because that's when he was martyred. So, but uh, the best evidences that we have you know, from early church fathers, uh, the evidences that are in the epistle itself, uh, it, it has kind of a date of around 42 AD. And so that, that's about the time frame. The persecution of the Jews has really started to take the upswing. You know, all this is going on. This is probably the earliest epistle, if not one of the earliest epistles um, in the New Testament that we have. And so uh, this was kind of like right out there. This was the starting gate. And as people were beginning, like they didn't have a lot, they had the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have New Testament scriptures yet. And so as James, this is the first, um, this is the first epistle that is actually declared and considered to be um, canonical, to be inspired, to be scripture. And so you know, that's what we have here. Right? That, that is this exhortation. He's exhorting them to, guys, walk in maturity. Guys, have a heavenly perspective. Guys, guys, come on. D- don't do what comes naturally. Do what comes supernaturally. There's all these different exhortations for us to walk in power and authority, to walk as believers of Jesus Christ. That is what this epistle is about. Right? That's what this is about. So like I said, we're not going to come here and, and, and throw out a whole bunch of big, crazy words, not Tonight, I do have to admit, we're going to have a little bit of a Greek lesson. There's a couple words that are important that we understand what they are, so we're going to be doing that. But all in all, the the basic understanding of what he's saying is very simple. But as my pastor always says, it's not the complex things that I struggle with, it's the things that I do understand. It's the simple things, because those are things like, hey, when I stand before the Lord, I can't say, oh Lord, I didn't understand. I, I was like, oh yeah, I knew that, and I didn't do it. Right? That's the stuff that I struggle with. That's the stuff that I have trouble with. The stuff that is very simple. Love your neighbor. Right? Don't show partiality. You know, um, d- don't care about the riches of the world. Like, hey, don't, don't respect somebody because they have money. You know, and, and don't look at this person and, and reject him because he's poor. 
or, or, or doesn't look like a, like a great person. Okay, these are the things that we struggle with. These are the things that we, that we fight about and, and contend over. And so these are the things, James, man, real simple stuff. It's real simple stuff, but it's powerful, it's poignant, and sometimes it's painful, right? That is James, and it's a powerful book, and if you will let it enter into your heart, if you will take these things and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the thing, your walk will change. It can't not change if you take this book to heart. It's that cool of a book. It really is, and so I'm very excited to teach it. Now, it's five chapters. It's, it's you know, not a long book, but here's the thing. What is an epistle? What's the definition of an epistle? It's a letter. Absolutely. It's a letter. It's something that was, if you guys ever get snail mail um, anymore, probably for birthdays, my mom sends out snail mail, right? She's great at it. Isn't it nice to get something like that? Right? It's like that personal, oh my goodness, look, people still write. But you have to write in printing most of the time because people can't read cursive anymore. It's <laughs> kind of funny. But... <laughs> so yeah, that hap- that's true. It's like people can't read cursive anymore. But um, what is a letter? When you, when you get a letter, what do you do? What do you do? You, do you sit there and kind of like like read like a little segment of it, and then go, oh, that's so great. Oh. And you walk away and go and sit down and like, oh man, she said, dear Brian. What does she mean by dear? Huh. Is that a Greek word or a Latin word? You know, English comes from both Greek and Latin. So you know what, dear Brian. Huh. Gosh, yeah, that is my title. That's the name that was given to me. Brian means bold leader. Oh, hmm. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, we, we, we don't do that, though, do we? When we get a letter, what do we do? We read it. We read the whole thing from top to bottom, and we, we look at it, and we go, oh, wow. And, and we take in the whole context. And then, if, especially if it's at, like, maybe a, a real hard time. Um, I know Vanessa talks about all the time how my mom wrote her a letter uh, when Luke was in the hospital. He, he was a premature he was a preemie, and he was in like the little incubator. I went and visited him while he was in that incubator. I remember Luke when he was just teeny tiny. And she still has that letter, and she p- still pulls out that letter, and she still reads over that letter again and again because it was so encouraging to her, and it was such a blessing to her. And see, that's what a letter is. And, and an epistle is just that to us. Now, it's covering um, spiritual things, but in the end, it's James speaking to us. Right, James is speaking. Now, it, it wasn't just, it's, it's called a general epistle. It's not to a specific person like Titus or Timothy. It's not to just, you know, a specific church like the Corinthians. It is written to the church, and it was meant to be read aloud in church, and it was meant to be taken to different churches and read aloud in the churches. Um, there we go. He was trying to get me. <laughs> I was muted. Um, and they're trying to, people try to say, oh, you know, well, we don't really know who they are. And that's why it's allegorical. Like when you come to the book of Revelation, that when he says there's 12,000 of this tribe and that tribe and that tribe and that tribe, and he literally goes through and gives 12,000 of each of them. That's all allegorical because we know that, you know, at least 10 of the tribes are lost. Well, that's just simply not so. It's unscriptural to have that viewpoint because right here he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. See, what, what people oftentimes forget is that when, um, when Rehoboam went off and he, and he took off and he you know, put up the, the two golden calves and all of that, then all of the people who were faithful to the Lord left Israel from all the different tribes and they came down to Judah. 
and they, they became there. So you have literally all of the tribes of Israel are, were gathered together in Jerusalem and in Judah, in the city of, or in the, the tribe of Judah, and they were all there together. And so James is addressing all of the tribes of Israel. He, he, he's addressing the nation of Israel who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, th- this is a, a book by a Jewish man to a Jewish audience, but these are Messianic Jews. These are Jews who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, um, greetings to all of them. Now, as, as we've already discussed, uh, this book was written to people in a time when there was great pressure to conform right? Conform to the status quo, conform to the pressures of society, conform to everything that, that the culture around you says. And if you don't conform, then you are talked about as a, as a weirdo, as a heretic, as a hater, as some strange cult, right? That's what uh, people were, were being accused of. And he says, listen, in verse two, he says, my brethren, count it all joy, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, right? This is an area, like I said, is that difficult to understand? No, it's very easy to understand. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, now you think, okay, that's easy to understand. I, I, I understand what all means. The, you know, the Greek word for all is exactly like the English word for all. It means all. So my brethren, that, that would be all of us. He says, count it all joy. What's joy? Right? Is joy like happiness? Okay, joy is a little bit different than happiness, isn't it? Now, joy does have an emotional state that is attached to it for sure. Right? That is absolutely true. But it, that's not exactly what joy is. See, joy isn't dependent upon circumstances like happiness is, right? So I get my new iPad. This isn't a new, this is still the old one. But like, I get a new iPad and I'm happy. <laughs> right? I get a case on it and everything. And then I set it on my car and I start to drive away. And then the back of my window I see go, boom! Now I'm not happy. Right now I'm sad. Now I'm upset. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I just spent that much money on this thing and it broke. What am I going to do? Right? And you get all upset. See, happiness is based on this, but joy is different. What is joy? Well, we have joy because of salvation, right? We have joy because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so because of that, we have this thing that is called the fruit of the spirit, right? We have this thing called the fruit of the spirit because see the, the, the Holy Spirit of God has come and indwelt our hearts. And because he has done that, his character begins to be shed abroad in us. And God is joy, right? In Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. Biblical joy is an indwelt attribute of the living God, right? Let me say that one more time. Biblical joy is an indwelt attribute of the living God, right? So if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, there should be joy in your heart. If there is not joy in your heart, then something's wrong. Something's amiss. Something's not quite right. There should be joy in your heart, right? Because that is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So he says, my brethren, count it all joy, right? That's that thing that is, it's not up and down like this, but it's stable. 
in the thickest of times, in the hardest of circumstances, joy stands steadfast. It is immovable. It is unshakable. It does not crack. It does not perish. It does not recede. It's always there. And there are emotions attached to it, but it's not always emotions. It's also this, it's just a state of being that it's like, you know what? I know that everything's going to work out. I know that that all these things work together for good. How can you say that unless you have joy? The, the Bible literally says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, if our joy is based on circumstances, then our, strong, our strength is weak. And the joy of the Lord is, well, not that strong, not that great after all. But if joy is this steadfast, immovable thing that is an attribute of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then it doesn't matter what comes our way. We will never be robbed of our joy. He says, so count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I, I like this word fall. Um, this is our first uh, little Greek uh, lesson this, this evening. Um, it's peripipto. You like that? Peripipto. It, it, it's a Greek word that basically means, you know, it, and here it's translated as fall, which is a, it, it is definitely a translation of it. But there, there's a couple ways that you can express this word. One, it means to experience, right? So... My, my brethren, count it all joy when you experience various trials. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, the second definition of it is to strike a sandbar with the ship. Right? It means to get stuck in. Right? So how many times when, when you're in a trial, does it feel like, man, I was going, I was going, everything was just cruising. All of a sudden it's like, boom! And now I am completely stuck in this trial. I can't escape it. I can't get away from it. I'm stuck. I'm like a ship grounded on a sandbar. Feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? Okay, that's, that's another way of expressing this means, giving you a fuller understanding of what this word means. Not only that, the third definition of it literally means to fall into the hands of robbers. How many of you have been beaten up by your trials? Right? How many of you feel like, man, they just mugged me? Right? Oh my goodness, you know, th- these things that I'm going through, it's just like I got beat up, I got kicked to the curb, you know, the, those punks that you know, wore the high boots and they used to kick your head into the curb, those guys. It's like, that's what it's talking about. Right? You've fallen into the hands of robbers and you've been kicked to the curb. Right? He says, but my brethren, count it all joy, not that thing that does this, but this thing. When you fall, when you are experienced, when you get stuck in, when you are in the hands of robbers and you're getting beat up and mugged by your trial. Right? Does that sound like a, a happy place? Go to your happy place, go to your happy... Is that what it sounds like? No, this is not a happy place. Right? This is a bad place. When you fall into this trial, when you get stuck, when you get marooned in this trial, when you are mugged and there is nobody there and you are getting beat on by your trial, he says, count it all joy. Okay? There's nothing perplexing about what he's saying other than the fact that he's saying it. You're like, oh, please, James, are you serious right now? Okay, it's not difficult to understand these things. Any one of you can grab any kind of Greek lexicon and see the fullness of these meanings. There's nothing crazy here. The word fall is right. That's how we would say it in our English. Right, when you fall into various trials, when you experience, when you get stuck in your various trials. But this is a difficult exhortation, isn't it? Right, this is a, di- this is a difficult exhortation. This is something that requires maturity in our walk to accomplish this in our life. Right, see, we can't have a earthly perspective in this. We have to have a heavenly perspective in order for this to be made manifest in our lives. Right? Th- this is a commandment of him. He's saying, hey guys, listen. I know you're going through trials. I know you're going through persecution. I know you're going through all these different things. He says, but guys, you need to stand fast. 
You need to hold on. You need to hold on to the joy of the Lord, and it will be your strength. It will be a rock. It, it, it will be an anchor for your soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, your hope, your faith, your trust in Him. Right? That's where your joy comes from. Your joy doesn't come from, oh, you know, am I feeling well today? That can't be the source of your joy. Your joy can't be found in, oh, you know what, my boss loves me at work today, or my coworkers are really nice. Right? That can't be the source of your joy. The source of your joy can't even be, oh man, I've got the best wife in the world. And I do. Sorry, guys. Right? It, it, it can't be that, or it can't be, ladies, I, I've got the best husband, because Heidi does. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. Right? It can't be that. Right? It can't be that. Why? Because Heidi will fail me. Because I will fail Heidi. Because my boss, maybe most of the time they like me, but one day I'm going to let them down and they're going to be angry at me. Right? My coworkers will fail me. Everybody on this earth will fail me. And so my joy cannot be wrapped up in that. It has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. My motivation for continuing steadfast, for being a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, for being a bond servant. That's what James calls himself, a doulos. Right? One whose will is entirely consumed by the will of another. Right? It is dependent that my strength is in the joy of the Lord. What he has won for me on Calvary. Right? That is so important. Um, not only that, but uh, this word trials, okay, it, it can also be translated temptation. Sometimes we, we kind of take it back and forth. But it's important to understand this word. Uh, this word is important because throughout James we're going to see this thing. Because it also says that God does not tempt. Right? It's the same word. Right? It, 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 it's the same word. So we need to understand what this word is here. So, um, uh, parasmos, parasmos um, is this word. And it basically means there's two different definitions for it, depending on the context. One of them is an examination. Okay? To submit another to a test. To learn the true nature or character of. Does that make sense? Okay, that is one use of this word. Okay, it's an examination. The other use of this same word is temptation. Okay, it is trial given for the purpose to make one stumble. So, what we have here, we have James saying, my brethren, count it all joy, that steadfast thing, when you fall, get locked up, hung up in, beat down, mugged in various trials. That could be a trial as a testing of your faith to make sure to prove who you are, to prove what you are. Or it could also mean temptation, like somebody trying to cause you to stumble. Now, there are times when we fall into either of those categories, right? There are times when God allows hardships in our lives to purify us, to literally refine us. It is the fire, it, it, it is the heat that causes the dross in our lives to exit out, to purify us. To, so we find ourselves as purified in the refiner's fire. Right? Sometimes we are in that kind of trial. Anybody ever been in that kind of trial? Happens all the time. They're very common. Okay, but there is another kind of trial, a temptation. When somebody comes to you and their desire is to cause you to fall. See, this is the temptation that the devil comes at you with. Right? He is trying to cause you to sin against your God. He is trying to cause you to fall away from the faith. He is trying to cause you to, to rebel against your Lord. See, both are this word. This word literally means both of those things. It's all in the context. 
Yet in the context of this first statement, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various. Okay, that word, man, I I wish it wasn't there. I I wish it just said uh, trials, right? The testing, right? I'm okay when God does it, but you know, he's like, no, 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 count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The word is ambiguous there. It could be the context leaves it for either. Right, so whether you are being tried by God to proving your faith like Job was, Job was tried by his trial, and he he came out refined as gold. Right? Or whether you are being sifted as wheat by the devil himself, you are called to count it all joy. You are to count it all joy. And you think, Oh, wow, is that difficult to understand? Is that hard to comprehend? The answer is no. It doesn't matter what we are going through. It doesn't matter whether it be by the hand of God upon our lives. Like remember Naomi in the book of Ruth? Remember she said that? God's hand has been hard against me. And I was Naomi, but now I'm Mara. It's the Lord doing this thing. Or whether it be like Peter, as when Jesus said, the devil has asked for you, Peter, but don't worry, I've prayed for you. He does want to sift you like wheat. But you know what? It's okay. I've prayed for you. And when you've returned, he said, feed my sheep. So guys, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the motive of, of, of the trial, whether it is of God or whether it is of the devil. And how many times when you are in the trial, can, can any of us really discern whether it's of the Lord or of the devil? Right? I mean, so often when you're in it, you're just like, you're, you're gasping for air. Right? You're just like, oh, and the, it feels like the waves are crashing over your head and pulling you, and there's a rip current, and it's pulling you under. Right? You're not sitting there you know, going, huh, is this the Lord? Hmm. Right? You're not there. You're gasping for air. You're just trying to survive. So in the end, it doesn't matter whether it's of the Lord or whether it's of the devil, whether it be a thorn in the flesh that was placed there by the enemy to buffet you, because then the Lord can actually, it's kind of funny because sometimes it's both. And like, how does that work? I don't know, but God's eternal. And, and he gets it. Some, sometimes it's the devil literally trying to tempt you away from the Lord. And the Lord allows it so you can be purified, so you can be refined, so that you can be proven genuine. Right? So how do we know what, which these things are? It doesn't matter. And that's what James is saying. A mature believer doesn't care about if it's whether it's from the hand of the Lord or whether it's from the hand of the devil. In the end, you are to count it all joy. Why? Why? Knowing, and that's an important word, knowing. Not thinking, not hypothesizing, not feeling. No, this word is much stronger than those things. Knowing. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now this word testing, it's a different word. Uh, Dokimion. It, it basically means a procedure intended to establish the quality, performance, or reliability of something. Approved genuineness. It literally is a word that is used in metallurgy. It, it's, a, it's a reverberating furnace that is used for separating gold or silver from lead. It's something that is caused to purify. Right? That's what this, thing, that's what this word is for. He says, so you're to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, whether it be of the Lord or whether it be of the devil, knowing that this purifying of your faith, see, your faith is something that is valuable, isn't it? Right? Faith, hope, and love remain these three. But the greatest of these is love. But, you know, faith, it makes the top three, right? It it, it is something that is important. It is something, I mean, it's how we enter into salvation to begin with. 
Okay? These trials, these temptations, these are things that will be allowed. These things uh, will be, they, they will be used as the heat, the fire in the crucible that causes the purities to raise to the surface. So the dross comes out so that the maker, the master, the refiner can cause, he can literally scrape off the impurities and leave you as purified gold. Right? That is what these things... See, we need to understand this. We need to have this heavenly perspective. We need to know this, guys. Right? Do you believe it? Do you believe it that the trials that you are going through... Now, I, I don't know if all of you guys know or not, but there's a lot of people in our church that are going through trials right now. Some of them are going through temptations. Some of them are going through trials or testings. It doesn't matter. It, it's, it's widespread through our church. But in the end, if we have this earthly concept, if we have an earthly worldview, then it's like, you know what? Oh, man, I'm just getting beaten down. I'm just getting beaten down. There's, oh, there's no hope, man. It's never ending. And, and, and in the end, you will fall and you will stumble and you will crash and you will burn if that is your mindset. But if you have the heavenly perspective, if you have a heavenly worldview and you are um, spiritually minded rather than carnally minded, if you are an adult instead of a babe in the faith, in trusting God and trusting His Word, then you will know that these things are working in you something that is preparing you for eternity. That's what James is saying. He says, um, this faith, this testing of your faith produces patience. This word patience, it means endurance. Right? To stand firm under. Okay? That, that's what it means. Right? So it's like the, the testing of your faith, the trial, the temptation, it's causing in you that you are causing to, you're, you're learning how to endure, how to stay steadfast, faithful, immovable before the Lord, with the Lord, in the Lord, His joy being your strength. Right? That is what it is causing, and that is why we are to rejoice. But, guys, we need to know this. He says, let patience, let endurance have its perfect word or its complete work. Right? That you may be perfect, that you may be complete. Right? It just literally means to be mature and to be whole. He says, the endurance that you learn from trial, the endurance that you learn from temptation, the ability to stand underneath the pressure of it as it is crushing down on you will cause you to be mature, right? You can't, it's hard to be immature when you are under, when you're in the middle of a trial, right? And you're trusting God and you're holding onto the promises, right? It's almost an oxymoron. You couldn't be immature in that position, right? The immaturity comes when you turn away from the Lord, when you give in to the trial, when you give in to the temptation, that's immaturity. But the maturity is that, you know what? No, 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 I'm holding onto the Lord. My eyes are fixed on the creator. My eyes are fixed on the king and, and I will not let go. We're like Jacob, right? At the wrestling match when he's literally holding on and like saying, Lord, bless me. Lord, bless me. I won't let go till you bless me. What is that? He's begging. He's begging. Lord, please just bless me. But in that is the victory. He says, but you've got to let it have its perfect work. It, you have to let the, the trial run its course that, it, the, the, that what God is working in you will be completed. Right? If you try to get out of it, if you try to, oh, no, 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 no. And, and sometimes, sometimes we, we can do this. Maybe we see somebody struggling. We see them in a temptation and trial. And it's like, you know, we want to rescue them. And a lot of times, you know, God will have us rescue a person. But sometimes God says, don't rescue them. 
Because if you pull them out of the fire now, they won't be finished. They, they won't be proven. They won't be purified. If you take a, a, a piece of pottery and you want to glaze it and you're going to stone fire it and make it those brilliant, beautiful colors and you put it in the kiln, if you take it out too soon, guess what you'll have? muted, muddled colors, and it won't be right, and it'll be brittle, it'll break, it it won't be what it's supposed to be. And so we can do people a disservice, literally by pulling them out of the fire too often. Sometimes it's with finances, we just keep giving them money, keep giving them money, keep giving them money. Oh, you know what, stay in my house, just stay in my house. Hey, it doesn't matter. Oh, you're you're getting drunk, oh, you're using drugs, oh, it's okay, just, you know, it's all right. I'm, you know, whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. Sometimes you gotta let people fall. Sometimes you gotta let them go through that crucible in order to come out the other side purified in the Lord. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, sorry, that, that's something oftentimes when we're in the trial, when we're in the temptation, and it feels like the waves are crashing over our head, we need wisdom, right? We need, we need to know how to, like, Lord, what do I do? How, how do I get through this thing? He says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives liberally. That just means he gives plenty. He's liberal in his giving of wisdom. And notice this, that he gives it without reproach, right? He's not going to shame you. If you're in the trial and you're asking wisdom, you're saying, Lord, please help me. I need to understand. Lord, help me. Show me what I must do. Show me where I need to go. Show me, Lord, just please give me wisdom. It says that he gives liberally. And he's not going to shame you for asking. It's okay to ask. It's okay. It's like, you know, no, Lord, this is, I'm, I'm being overwhelmed right now, Lord. And it's like, that's okay. That's okay. Be honest. Be truthful before the Lord. He won't reproach you. He's not going to rebuke you for it. He says, and it will be given to him. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Right? That double-mindedness. That um, What we'd call it today is double-clutching. Oh, Lord, please give me the... I know you're not going to give it anyway. It's like you've already said no before he even said yes. Right? What's going on? He says, with, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Anybody here ever been like on a lake or out in the ocean that's being uh, driven by wind? Right? N- not, not a swell, not, not a big ocean swell that's coming, but a wind swell that, that's going. Right? It's choppy. It's all choppy. For those, if any of you guys are surfers, I'm a surfer. I, I do that. But it's like, it's just real choppy. And the waves as they come in, they're all, it's, you can't ride them. It, it makes them really worthless. You have waves coming all different directions and they're just, it's just, it's not smooth. It's not clean. Right? That's not what we want to be. Right? In, in our um, walk with the Lord, we need to be mature. We need to be steadfast. We need to be still. And that churning, churning, churning like this. Right? Because that's when we doubt, when we, when we don't believe that God is who He said He is, when we don't believe or we forget that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, which James is going to talk about later. Right? When we forget that His joy is our strength then we are tossed to and fro by every wind that comes our way. And we go scrambling about and we white-knuckle our salvation rather than being steadfast, immovable, bold, strong. He says, let not that man suppose or assume that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's the double-minded man. For he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Right, double-minded. Um, 
It just basically means vacillating, halting, hesitant, indecisive, irresolute. I like that one. Heidi, that's, that's a Heidi word. Tentative, uncertain, undecisive, which is different from indecisive, wavering between two minds. Right? That, that's what this word means. Right? When we doubt, when, when we doubt that the promises of God are yes and amen, when we doubt that he is our strength, when we doubt that all things work together for good, when we doubt that he is working uh, purposes in us that we cannot possibly understand, but he has an eye for eternity, and that is why and that is where we will understand it. We don't want to be that double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, how many of you sometimes, when you're in the middle of a trial, you feel unstable? I've, I've felt that way, right? You feel unstable. And, and, and check out what this word means. It literally means likely to collapse or change. Not stable. This is kind of interesting, but this actually is part of the word. Prone to psychiatric problems or sudden changes of mood. <laughs> right? Like, that, that's half our culture today. Right? That's half of our culture. We, we struggle with this. And, and we take drugs in order to try to numb us from those feelings. But in the end, those are just symptoms. The reality is that we are not rejoicing in the Lord. That we are not trusting them in the promises. That we are, are unstable because we're double-minded because we don't believe. And, and, and we're hesitating. And, and we're like back and forth, back and forth. Like, is he really going to do it? Is it really true? And, and, and that's what causes the unstableness. And, and notice that it, when you are unstable like that, when you're double-minded like that, it literally, you are likely to collapse. Right? You are likely to collapse when you're in that state. And so, what is James telling us? What is he exhorting us this evening? He's saying, guys, brethren, be mature in your faith. Have a heavenly perspective. Trust the Lord. Rejoice. Whatever comes your way, whether it be a trial, a testing of the Lord, or whether it be a temptation of the devil, count it all joy because this you know. In Christ all things will work together for your good and this too will have its perfect work in you and it will produce in you endurance and endurance will produce in you a character that is godly and immovable and beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. You will be refined and you will be blessed. Guys, this is a heavy word, isn't it? Can anybody here say they don't understand it? No, it's really simple. But sometimes it's the really simple things that are so hard because we do understand them. But guys, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the word of the Lord to OCCF this night. Trust God. Be steadfast, immovable in the joy of the Lord. And when you look at your trial, don't go, oh, oh, no. Look at it and smile. Look at it and rejoice. Have a mind towards heaven. And that's hard, I know. But have a mind towards heaven, thinking, Lord, you are doing a great work. I am your poema, this I know. And you who began a good work in me are faithful to complete it. Right? That is the mindset we have to have in our trials. Can I say that I was perfect through that? You know, in, in like watching a daughter die? 
No, there were times when I was unstable and ready to fall. But you know what? In those moments when I was ready to fall, I had some of the most powerful experiences of the Holy Spirit I've ever felt where I tangibly felt him grab me and hold me together. And then when he dusted me off and got me back on my feet, then the joy of the Lord was once again my strength and I was able to walk. And it's the reason why I can stand here this evening not in a puddle of tears. Right? It's less than a year. But you know what? His joy is that which sustains me. It is His joy that keeps Heidi and I together and keeps us strong in the Lord. And you think, oh, no, no, you don't understand my circumstance. You don't understand what I'm going through. You're right, maybe I don't. But this, this goes across all of the board. It doesn't matter if I understand it. It is what the Lord said through His servant. This is the truth. And whether I understand it or not, it doesn't matter. That's not really the question. It's, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you do, then you know the course of action you must take. You know the course correction that you have to make. If you don't believe it, well, you're likely to collapse, to fall. Guys, be encouraged. Right? The Lord did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. You have the Holy Spirit, the dunamis. Right? You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That same power, Ephesians chapter 1, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set Him on high, on the throne of glory. Right? That same Holy Spirit is in you. And He is joy. He is joy. So rejoice. Whatever may come, hell or high water, the hand of the Lord against you. Oh, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Or whether it be Peter, the devil has called for you. He has asked that he may sift you as wheat. Rejoice. Whether it be a testing and the Lord is going to bring you forth as gold refined by the fire or whether it be a temptation and the devil is trying to cause you to stumble. Either way, you hold on to the Lord with all of your might and you don't let go and you say, Lord, bless me. Bless me, a sinner. Bless me, Lord. I won't let go until you bless me. And you know what? He will. Because he gives liberally. And without reproach, he won't shame you ever. Amen? It's a good word, huh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, your word. Lord, we just praise you for just your goodness, your, your, your steadfast spirit, which is immovable. There is no variance. There's no shadow of turning within you. And Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice, Lord, that your joy is our strength. And it's not based on circumstance, Lord, but it's based on your indwelling spirit. And we know, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, I do ask that your peace, which passes understanding, would rest upon your servants, your children, your sons and your daughters, Lord, what trial or temptation they may be going through this very night. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would gird them up, Lord, that you would not let them fall, but that you would lift them up on wings like eagles. 
Lord, I pray that their lives would be a glory to your name. That many would look upon them and see you and see your hand. That you may be glorified. That you may be praised. Thank you, Jesus, with all of our hearts. Amen.